Regardless of how we find ourselves in the world of divorce, the one thing we have complete control over is how we behave from here on out. We have two choices. One is to remain stuck in the stories, the anger and pain. And the other is to take a breath, adjust our sail to the wind, and work harder than ever before to create a new story for our children, for ourselves, and for the world around us. It's your choice, your work, but I'll be in your corner. Welcome to In Your Corner Divorce Podcast. My name is Carly Israel, and I am your host. Today, I have the privilege of talking with Jeremy Mast, graduated with Masters of Divinity, and then he said, I discovered that my passion was in journeying with others through the transformative process of therapy. Two years later, I returned to the seminary to pursue a degree in psychology. In 2012, I graduated with a Master's of Science in Marriage and Family Therapy, committed to integrating spirituality and psychology. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified sex addiction therapist. Having had personal experiences with substance abuse, I care deeply about helping others find ways to change how they use drugs, alcohol, or problematic sexual behaviors with compassion and respect. Jeremy, welcome. Thank you, Carly. Thanks for having me here. You're like, I accomplished. Like, let's do this. Oh, that's me. It's so cool. (laughs) Listeners, get ready. This is what we're talking about today. We're talking about sex addiction, pornography addiction, and other out-of-control sexual behaviors. And I feel like I found a gem out there because after looking at your stuff and your blogs and your work, I'm so excited because right before we started recording, I mentioned to you that every, every single couple I've looked at and have talked to me or have anonymously shared has said secretly, this is their biggest issue. Yeah, so. it's a huge issue out there, um, and and one that um, gets um, some uh, coverage in in the media. But um, the the issues that are created by um, some form of um, secretive behavior, mm. or or secretive, um, more specifically, sexual behavior, most commonly pornography, mm. uh, in my experience. Although that's not always the case, is um, it's just tragic. So I'm really glad to be here. Will you tell me how you got to a place where, you know, I I have in your, one of the things I wrote down that you said was, I wanted to help others experience a healing relationship in which they can really be themselves without fear or of judgment or shame. And that's really where my listeners want to get to because of all their experiences. But before we get us there, how did you get to a place where this is what you wanted to study? Well, that's part of my own journey. Um, of course, right? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you you were reading my um, my uh, my bio there a little bit. Um, to to make a long story short, uh, I went to seminary um, and I graduated with a, a theology degree, and I just figured out that that wasn't for me. This mm-hmm. wasn't uh, what I wanted to do with with uh, with my career, with my life, and so uh, I wanted to. Um, course engage my spirituality but uh, in a different way so i began to think very hard about what that meant for me and um i I began to think more and more about uh therapy because at that time i was in therapy i was was doing my own work and um and uh thinking more about it i actually started and it was it was a wonderful fit it's one of those things where you don't really know if you're going to like it until you try it Mm -hmm. um so um but I did, and it was it was fantastic. So I, I as you said, I, I graduated with uh, with my psychology degree in 2012, and um, and I've been practice uh, since since then. And then, did you just feel that a lot of your your patients were coming to you, and this was a consistent issue, and you're like, I need to really focus in on on sex addiction, or did you make that decision while you're in school? That's a good question. So um, for a long time, I struggled with uh, alcohol use. Right, mm-hmm. and so um, uh, I, I, I work through that in in my own therapy, and that attracted me to working with those who are interested in getting help with their addictions. Mm-hmm. Um, at my um, in my uh, internship, I was working alongside of a guy who is a sex addiction therapist, and I I didn't know about that at the time because it was um, I mean sex addiction is still a fairly new 
field. It's only about um, it's only about twenty five or thirty years old, which sounds like a long time, but um, it's it's really not in terms of um, psychology and and you know the development of of uh, this field. So um, I thought, what's that? And so I was attracted to sex addiction um, because sex tells us so much of who we really are mm-hmm. and um, and uh, so much of our emotional lives. And if we can understand ourselves as sexual beings and find healing as sexual beings, um, we're going to do a, uh, ourselves a huge favor in terms of um, our own overall growth and, um, and, and finding uh, meaning in our lives uh, in a deeper way. So I was very attracted to that. So helping people find uh, healing out of brokenness and sex addiction, um, because I knew that um, that too many people who struggle with sex or porn addiction they also struggle with some other addictive behavior right so let me ask you a question do you work with um just individuals or also couples both okay so tell me typically what is the main what are like the big ticket items you're seeing couples come in your office with in terms of sex addiction and issues in their marriage with that area most couples who contact me uh, d- that are dealing with some kind of sex or porn addiction or porn addiction, or, or that is a sex, um, sexually addictive behavior. Mm-hmm. They, they're coming to me in the throes of uh, some kind of discovery. So what mm-hmm. most likely happens is that um, the, uh, the, the wife or the, the partner, and it's, and it's usually the, the, the female. Is it partner, usually, right? I want to just dispel this. Yeah. Is it yeah. usually the male that is, is a sex addict or is that not true? It's most. It's mostly true. Yeah. Okay. Most of the time, so that's, usually that's the, the wife case. found out something. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. The wife or the female partner um, makes some kind of discovery, discovering a text from a prostitute, or um, you know, she's reviewing uh, credit card statements or bank records and finding some irregularities. What are these charges? Um, or you know, she she discovers his uh, stash of pornography on his computer, or something, some, something like that, right? Um, and they're in the midst of this crisis. And so they, they uh, meet with me and, uh, and we begin to sort out um, because um, um, initially um, there's, there's a lot of pain and, and mistrust, obviously, um, and, um, and, and fear about, uh, about more coming out. Uh, there, there's just a lot of uncertainty in that stage. So, so we work very uh, intensely in those first few months um, to um, uh, help them each get some um, tools to deal with uh, their own um, healing and start to... Um, both of their uh, healing, right? Right, yeah. Because at this point... Um, they both need to heal. Yeah, at this point, because what's happened for her, okay, and I'm, I'm again, using her as a, as a more generic term, right. but it can be both a, a um, you know, male or female in this case, but... Um, the partner of a sex or porn addict has been traumatized by their discovery. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when we say trauma, I mean, anything that's been um, emotionally injurious and the betrayal that she has experienced is deeply, deeply injurious. It is world shattering. Everything yes. that she thought was true in the relationship was a lie. And then is it normal for that person to then start looking back and going, what, what else is not true? Like, oh, of course. Oh, it just yeah. opens yeah. up like the Pandora's box of what else is, is he being dishonest about? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course. It's a very common question. Um, and, and they're asking this question because, they, they, again, they don't know it's true anymore. And they're trying to feel safe in their own relationship again, yes. feel safe in their own experience again, because they, they have now a um, pervasive sense of what, of, of uh, mistrust and, and they, they do not feel safe in the world. And that's what trauma does. It makes us feel unsafe in the world. I have a question. Mm-hmm. So do you think based on your experience that the trust is the biggest problem or the actual I can't believe this is what happened. Do you, or is it everything? Like, is the real problem underneath it all now the trust has been broken? I would say, yeah. Um, 
You know, many partners are deeply hurt by their partner's behavior, but what they'll tell me time and time again is that what's even more hurtful than that is the lying, the deception, because now they can't trust anything that their partner says. Yeah. So can you dispel, based on your experience, can couples move through this? So that's my first question. Can they get to another side? They do. They can. They can. They do. It's totally yes. possible. Yes. Okay. Yeah. If they, if we're dealing with um, listeners who've divorced and they were betrayed, mm -hmm. there is work that they need to do in order to have a healthy, successful relationship with the next person, so mm -hmm. they don't carry that distrust baggage. Yeah. So, do you ever work with those clients, those patients? Yeah, that that can. Um, uh, I, I don't often work with those partners. You know, many partners, um, uh, many partners come to me in the, in the hopes of saving their marriage, um, and and um, and and mostly I see people who struggle with the addictive behavior. Um, there there are many um, certified sex addiction therapists like myself who who um, specialize in working with the partners. Um, so, um, although I worked with partners before. Um, most of my work um, focuses on um, supporting the um, yeah. uh, the addicted partner. Yeah. So, um, but you know, your question is a really good one because um, tragically, um, you know, many partners, uh, having been traumatized, they they may choose to end the marriage, but out of anger or hurt or or some other pain, they um, they never find healing. And so they might end the marriage or decide to leave the relationship, but they don't um, tend to their own healing. And it's, it's, it's tragic because they had nothing to do with the injury that's been done to them. Right. They, they did nothing to cause that or create that, um, but they, they don't take responsibility for their own healing. Yes. Oh my God. So, I love what you just said. But yeah, let's pause so, for a second. Yeah. <laughs> They, it was not their fault, right? What, for whatever reason, we're not getting into all the details, which we will in a little bit. This happened to them. They're part of a partnership. And part of being in a partnership is you work through hard things because that's what life is, right? Right. And so if they make the decision that they can't stay, then they still have work to do, whether it happened in, just like a rape victim. Like it wasn't their choice, to, obviously, but the, the healing is on you now to, mm -hmm. because otherwise you'll be brought down by it forever. And I'm sure you learned when you were studying for divinity, hurt people, hurt people. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't heal and walk through that darkness and get to the other side, then it's going to fall onto the next person. I would add to that, that hurt people hurt themselves mm -hmm. because when you're in a place of being traumatized in that way, if you don't take responsibility for your own healing, you're, you're um, staying in a place of feeling like a victim. That's yes. a very disempowering place to be. Yes. And when you take responsibility for your own healing, it, it, it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, but um, you move from a place of, of victimhood to empowerment. You say, uh, this is what I can control in my life. And this is what, this is what happened to me, but it doesn't define me. This is what I can do to heal moving forward. I can, I can commit to self-care. I can, um, I can work with a therapist or, or with a coach who can help me with these issues. Um, other things that, that, um, uh, that, that might be helpful. I can, I can find a, can find some kind of a support group perhaps. Um, those kinds of things are, are wonderful steps to uh, finding healing. I have a question. So mm -hmm. I just heard a number of things because I know listeners want practical. Let's say they, they left the marriage because of the trauma and they couldn't get through it. Things that we need to do so we don't stay as a victim and we can empower ourselves is self-care, therapy coach, support group possibly. The healing needs to be our own ownership, right? Are there certain things that you would guide people when they want to be in a new relationship after they've done this work to look for so they don't make the same mistakes. Because one of the things I do when I talk to divorcees is we kind of go through their story because everyone wants to talk about mm -hmm. their story because they need to, to for empowerment to see 
And we stop and we go, wait, so when did that happen? And they're like, three years before we went to the doors. I'm like, so that happened. And then, you know, all this, mm -hmm. and we look at it and we, they tell me obviously in hindsight, how they could clearly see looking back. So what do they need to look for looking forward? Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to extend your analogy here to, uh, to say, you know, using the, um, using the idea of looking for something. Um, when you're looking for something different in a relationship, your sight needs to be different, right? Yes. And so that means that you need to change. Yes. So you're, you, you need to, of course, come to a place of healing where that, where that uh, injury that's been done to you has been, has been healed. But um, what's really important is to understand, and, and I, and I want to be very careful about how I say this, okay, because uh, I'm not implying at all that, um, that uh, any partner is to blame for, um, you know, her partner's um, addictive behavior, but um, what was happening for you in the marriage that wasn't working? That is what, what in, to the extent that you were in a relationship with a person that, uh, that you knew and that, that relationship was, um, uh, was, uh, was, uh, subject to all of the, um, relational uh, pitfalls that, that couples go through. Okay. Um, even though you you're married to a person who's struggling with an addiction that you didn't know about, um, there are often um, ways that we can think about um, on a, on a much broader scale outside of the addiction. Okay. Because for, for him, the addiction was probably um, some kind of symptom of unresolved trauma himself, or he was, um, uh, you know, caught up in some behavior. Um, but, and, and this takes, this takes time to do. Okay. And this takes a lot of effort to get to this place where and you're, you're looking um, not just at the addiction and the devastation that that caused, but more broadly, was there anything that you can see that was um, your contribution to the way that the relationship unfolded? Okay. Can I just say something? I'm so glad mm -hmm. you said that. And I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, because yeah. this is just my own belief out of my experience. And I'm not talking about sex addict in terms of porn addiction, because um, mm -hmm. I want to get into that. But specifically infidelity, um, in my experience working with clients and in my own marriage in terms of what went on and didn't go on, is there's two people. And the space is not going to be there if the marriage is, if you're working on the marriage together and it's fulfilling in more than just the physical area, that it's emotionally safe, that you guys are communicating, that you're feeling like a partnership. For me, because I've had, I'm in a very successful marriage today and I was in one where it was very lonely. And in the one, my first one, the space was so big that we both created it. It's not just one person. And I want to ask you for infidelity. Do you believe in most cases that it's not just one person that it's, there's a space that's created, whether consciously or unconsciously by not taking care of what really needs to be taken care of in the partnership that makes somebody open to the idea of going to the side. That's a good question. Um, let me speak to that for a second. So the most common understanding of why affairs happen, okay, and, and uh, affairs or, or infidelity, um, just to briefly define that, affairs um, or, or any kind of infidelity, we're really talking about uh, not just sex, we're talking about any kind of um, secrets in the relationship, right? Or any Anything kind you wouldn't of, want someone uh, to see. You would like, any kind cover of, your right. phone. Yeah, um, and that's that's why you know there can be um, uh, that, that's why there can be uh, uh, financial cheating, okay? yes, or uh, you know so um, any kind of uh, violation of of um, what was um, understood to be um, mutually agreed upon in the relationship. Okay, usually um, couples don't overtly make these kinds of agreements, but um, but with regard to being monogamous, they they you know there's usually a commitment to being monogamous. So. Um, many therapists that you go to, okay, 
um, even they'll they'll say or they'll they'll draw upon what is the most common explanation for why affairs happen. That is, that there's something wrong with either the cheater or the relationship. And very often these are true. Okay, very often there is some kind of um, uh, space or gap in the relationship that makes someone uh, want to cheat. Um, or there's something that's going on in the cheater. That is, there's um, unresolved trauma or there's, um, you know, whatever, um, that they go cheat. But that's not always the case, okay? Affairs can happen for a, 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 a lot of reasons. And, um, and what we're seeing more of now, I think, is that um, affairs happen because of... Um, some kind of, and this is, this is where it gets in a little bit into the weeds, but um, affairs might happen in, um, for, for some f uh, reason uh, related to personal self-discovery. Mm. Okay. So um, someone might be very satisfied in their relationship, um, but they also might uh, feel um, in, that in some way they, they want to explore um, something that they, they've never been able Sexually. to do sexually, uh, or, you know, uh, uh, they might, um, and, and the reasons for that are, are just so diverse and so highly personal um, that uh, it, it's hard to get more specific about that. But, but that also can happen. And that's something that I do see in my practice. So what, going back to that original question, what, after the healing takes place and all the work is done for the person who was betrayed, Mm -hmm. And we come to a new place of healing where we're looking differently and we're looking at ourselves of what was happening in your marriage that wasn't working. Are there specific like telltale signs or red flags to look for when you're meeting a new partner? Yeah. So um, the first thing I would say to reiterate is, is to be sure that you're understanding um, your contribution to yeah. uh, what was happening in the previous relationship, because you don't want to repeat those patterns again. Okay. Right. You don't want to treat um, somebody like they're your child when they're your partner, right? Right, all, exactly. All exactly that, right. Um, and then, as you look for new partners, and, and I think if you've done the work that um, you're uh, ready for a new relationship and you've um, understood the re previous patterns that, uh, that you've engaged in, um, the kind of partner that you're looking for is going to be fundamentally different anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay, just as a matter of course, because now you're more consciously choosing right. your partner. So, um, you know, if you're looking for red flags, um, I think that those would be pretty uh, straightforward. But, we're, we, you know, as far as what, um, how to be on the lookout for someone who's potentially engaging in some kind of problematic sexual behavior, okay. Um, these folks are really good at hiding secrets. And so what you, and, and, and I'm gonna just um, give you sort of a, um, uh, what, what I think is my best advice as far as what to look for. It's, it's not anything necessarily in the other person, okay? But I, want, I would encourage you to pay very close attention to how you feel because yeah. your body is going to tell you Yes. That something's not right. That it's, voice. It's that letting you right. Voice. Yeah. Um, and, and that takes some discernment because that voice, it, you know, you, you could be, um, you could, that, that voice could be some kind of hypervigilance from, from previous yeah. unresolved relational trauma. Okay. And not some, saying something yeah. like, I don't feel safe here. This isn't right. Something feels off. Um, so pay attention to that voice and, and, um, and sit with it if you need to, but your body will tell you because your body um, is where your unconscious will first show up. And that is going to tell you more than anything that you're consciously aware of with this person, that something's off. It's so true. Our bodies are so smart, but you know what, Jerry, we can't hear or know or identify what's happening in our bodies or our voice if we haven't done the work to get healed. Because yeah. it won't, you can't discern it. So one of the things I do with my coaching clients is I make them pull everything out of their hallways and get mm -hmm. rid of it and identify like, this is no longer serving you. Mm -hmm. you know, we need to get to a place where if you want a new life and a new way to approach it, that we're going to let go of a lot of this old stuff yeah. that's not serving you anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I want to transition and I want you to identify to 
to us. What is a sex addict? What is a sex addict? Um, yeah, sex or porn addiction. What's um, what's the do you deal? classify them in the same so, place? Yeah, I do. That's a good question. So, um, when we're talking about sex addiction, we're talking about um, any kind of sexual behavior that becomes compulsive. Okay, so anything, any sexual behavior that that um, that involves some kind of loss of control. Okay. Before and, I can go on, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I see a lot is that the partners are not um, sexually balanced in terms of their, their sex drives, okay? Mm-hmm. And so often these words that you're about to define, which is why I wanted you as a professional to define them, get mm-hmm. thrown around inappropriately, mm-hmm. like, oh, my husband's a sex addict or my yeah. wife's a sex addict because she wants yeah. sex more than I do. Mm-hmm. And in my first marriage, that was one of our problems. And I was told that I was not normal because of the frequency I wanted sex versus the frequency mm-hmm. he wanted sex. And so I was placed in the abnormal by a psychologist, like who told him that, that, you know, typical people, I know you're like, no one can see, but like when you hear, when you hear bad advice that other professionals are giving, you're like, no. And the psychologist told my husband that once a week is normal and that me wanting it more than that is not normal. And that I needed, I was the one that needed to get my shit together. And that's not a good feeling. Mm-mm. And I have a lot of women I know that are opposite. Their husbands want to be with them more and they don't. And then that's the problem. So mm-hmm. we're not talking about that. Sex addict is no. not that. No, no. Um, that's just first of all, Yeah. I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm sorry that that was your experience. Um, <laughs> boy. Yeah. Sex addiction has nothing to do with frequency of sex. Okay. Nothing to do with frequency of sex. This is more about one's relationship to sex and sexual behaviors. So... Sex addiction is defined as any addiction is by the loss of control over that behavior. Okay. Um, the behavior is compulsive. Um, there's usually and very often a um, strong preoccupation with that behavior. Um, there's um, obsessive fantasy about that behavior. You know, you think about that behavior while you work and, and, and you're looking forward to, you know, watching porn when you get home or, uh, whatever form that that preoccupation takes. Okay, they're, they're devoting a lot of mental and emotional energy to that behavior, even while they're not engaging in it. And then um, thirdly, there's, um, there's a continuation of engaging in that behavior, even with negative consequences. They can't okay, stop. So they can't stop, um, it's, and it's affecting their life adversely. So it's affecting their relationship. Um, you know, the, the, you, the partner says, um, uh, after, after one discovery. Okay. Um, I I don't trust you as much. This is, this is impacting us. Um, you know, you're less interested in me sexually as is, as is often the case. Um, uh, you know, you can't maintain an erection anymore or, or, um, in, in more significant or severe cases, it tends to uh, affect performance at work or your, um, your, um, masturbating on the job or, or, you know, all of these things that I hear about. Um, so, so there are adverse consequences or there, there are real risks for adverse consequences to develop. And, um, the individual continues to engage in that behavior anyway. Wait, so just listen to this. So I'm sober 21 years and I understand addiction Mm -hmm. for me. I I'm physically, I have a physical allergy to alcohol and drugs. When I put it in my body, I can't control it. When I don't have it in my body and I don't work a solution, my mental obsession is like, I need it. So it's very similar to what you're describing. For me, the solution is to not have alcohol or drugs for the physical part. And the mental part is to work on getting rid of the things that are blocking me from getting to the place where I want to be and the person I want to be. So how do you do that with a sex addict or a porn addict? Mm -hmm. With pornography, um, most people that I talk to who are wanting to get help for their pornography addiction, they don't want pornography in their lives anymore, period. And so that's an easy solution. Um, we put some boundaries around uh, pornography. Um, we like digital, person, like screen, like... For, for, for starters, yes. 
Um, and, and sometimes the person chooses to use those tools long-term. Um, right. That's, that's a, I, and from my perspective, that's a stopgap solution. It's not going to be effective long-term, but it's, right. um, Cause it's, everywhere. it's helpful. Yeah. And it's, it's helpful to um, uh, increase uh, some barriers to that behavior or, or what I call friction. Um, I think um, um, James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, writes a little bit about that oh, idea it, too. Yeah. yeah. It's a really good book. So um those can be helpful um, steps to uh, start porn addiction recovery. Um, with sex addiction though, um, because everyone's um, problematic behaviors might be different, okay? The first step is to very clearly and concretely define the problematic sexual behaviors that the person wants out of their lives, okay? And they're choosing to do this. They say, you know what? When they start working with me, they say, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore because this, this, and this is creating all kinds of problems for me. I said, okay, you know, let's, let's, um, let's create some badgers on that for you. And let's talk about how you can start to um, exclude that behavior from your life. Okay. So they're, so in, in doing this, okay, they're making, they're making the first steps in, in learning how to, and well, let me say it this way in unlearning, Held unhealthy sexuality, right? And learning how to engage in healthy sexuality because they didn't know. Because they didn't know. Because they don't have any kind of uh, template for this. Okay, they they got. Um, I mean, they got involved in um, pornography because they found their dad's stash when they were ten years mm-hmm. old, and um, and they've been hooked ever since. Um, and that's been, you know, or, or porn, especially in this generation, the internet generation. Oh my God. I go on. You are never going to be, um, out of business. Like you, you, I can just tell you with the generation, I have three boys. I'm raising three boys. Okay. And I got a 14, 13 and 11. And I got to tell you, first of all, we have no clue what we're doing. The parents, like I, I just was on yesterday with a parenting coach who does social media and digital stuff. Oh yeah. I joked with her and I said, we're going to be talking about our generation of parenting the way that we talk about our parents who were smoking in the car, drinking tab without a car seat. And we have no idea what we're doing. And I have one of my sons who we found porn a couple of times and mm-hmm. he wants to die when it happens. And he's in so much shame and he's like, take my phone, take everything. And I am very sexually open. And I'm like, look, I'm not trying to tell you that it's not normal to have these desires but how do you go from a 13 year old boy that wants to watch memes come everywhere to an adult male who's breaking up a marriage because he doesn't know how to stop it? Mm-hmm. Um, really exposure. Um, when kids are, when kids are, so a couple of things. So first of all, um, porn addiction um, is when we're talking about pornography. Okay. Um, Porn addiction is born of really two things, unresolved emotional trauma. Um, that's usually um, the result of some experiences in one's family of origin. Okay. So there, there, there might be some huge, uh, very significant traumatic experience of, of abuse or, or something like that. But usually it's just mom and dad um, were um, not very good parents, quite honestly. Uh, there was some kind of experience emotionally of abandonment or neglect. And, um, and number two, you pair that with some kind of early exposure to pornographic material or some kind of sexual material. Right. Right. So that, so that the kid is exposed to this material, but he doesn't have the kind of um, relational and social uh, support or, or emotional resilience to, um, resist forming an unhealthy attachment with that behavior, okay, or, the, or that with that material, so that the pornography then becomes a form of um, self-soothing. The pornography becomes something he uses to or learns to use to manage his um, emotional life. Mm-hmm. And this is not happening on a conscious level, but. Um, he repeatedly is drawn to this behavior just because, well, I mean, kids, 
kids are kids and they've yeah. got uh, raging hormones and of course they're going to be turned on by and the sexual what's material. available now i mean when we of were course. growing up it was your dad's playboy or <laughs> national geographic mm-hmm. like boobs to the ground and that was it right and right. now i mean yeah. there are memes with women with huge penises and like we're talking about this stuff because you know all the important things that i've learned to say of you know i don't want you to have an unrealistic expectation of what sex is going to look like and there's stats that show Mm -hmm. that if you start doing this so early and you think this is what it looks like that you can't physically get an erection when you're with a real partner Mm -hmm. and all that stuff and this is not the generation of boys of my children's age at least from what i'm seeing are not experiencing trauma they're experiencing send this link oh my god check this out and then Mm -hmm. they are so interested and their bodies are are like reacting because it's sexual and then their minds are feeling Mm -hmm. embarrassed and shame yeah yeah so do you think that this is going to be a different wave of issues coming your way in a couple decades i think it's i think it's going to be um well um when first when first sex addiction started to be um uh manifest and talked about um, it was it was more of a um, like a, what I call classic sex addiction. Okay, so the, the, as, an, as a guy who's struggling with massage parlors or with uh, with um, strip clubs or with um, adult bookstores, okay, um, and he, you know he may still be struggling with that behavior in, in even in this day and age. Okay, right. nowadays um, we're going to see much much more of. Uh, the kind of uh, porn addiction that I've been talking about where, where, you know, the person got um, hooked on pornography at a very early age. I go on Reddit and I see, I see teenagers talking about their porn addiction. I see, um, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds, uh, or these people who are telling me that they're there, that they're there at, at that age. And they're, they're struggling with not being able to get an erection uh, with uh, intimacy issues with their girlfriends, with, um, uh, not being able to control their um, pornography use. We're going to see a lot more of that um, when, um, uh, you know, as we, as we continue on in this generation, I think. So if you are in a marriage and your partner is, you find the discovery happens, the trauma happens, they're a sex or porn addict, you're working with the couple, what are you doing with them to help walk them through to the place of healing where they can stay together? Mm-hmm. I think, first of all, I just want to highlight what you said. If someone in your audience makes some kind of discovery of sexual material, I would encourage you to go to or find a certified sex addiction therapist to sort this out. You don't necessarily know that your partner is a sex addict. You don't necessarily know that your partner is a porn addict. Um, But someone who can help you make sense of this, it's a very loving thing to do for yourself. Okay, so tell me so, why, because if you find out that your partner is, you know, next to you in bed and masturbating to porn, that doesn't mean they're a sex addict. That no, just means that no. they like porn and they don't want to touch you. It just means that, um, it just means that you caught them watching porn. You right. don't know about how long this has been going on. You don't know about um, what, what's been happening. Um, and going to see someone who understands these kinds of issues um, who can explain this is not uh, this is not an addiction this is not a redi- like an, is there they'll be a able to, normal yeah, behavior like they'll, of- yeah they'll the and, and right and that's that's part of what I, what i'm um why i'm hesitating here because um you know you don't know when addiction is present or not mm-hmm. a certified sex addiction therapist can help you sort some of that out and and that's not to say that um many couples don't enjoy the use of pornography in their relationships that's mm-hmm. very possible okay yeah. but when it becomes a problem or when it's done in secret then we've got some issues to sort out it's the secrecy that seems right. to be underlying everything right yeah and so again it leads back to what we were originally talking about which is the distrust the betrayal mm-hmm. the feeling so can trust be gained back with a sex addict yes it takes a long time on both it's very possible right the sex addict mm-hmm. has to do all the work the partner mm-hmm. has to do all their work, mm-hmm. but they can work together. Yes. What are the roadblocks to healing for a sex addict? Roadblocks to healing. Uh, the biggest one is denial. So they continue to minimize, minimize. their behavior. They justify their behavior. They, um, they may not um, be able to 
continue to develop emotionally in ways that they need to, to support um, their own healing and their partner's healing. Um, they, um, they might continue to um, be stuck in their shame. Shame so is a big so one. big. Yeah, yeah. It's so big because yeah. not only, so like when I work with alcoholics, there's not, I mean, there's shame just because, you know, it's, you've ruined a lot of people's lives, yeah. but sex addiction, mm-hmm. like, can you tell us, like, I don't need exact numbers, but how many couples are dealing with this? Like if 50% of marriages in yes. America end in divorce, yeah. how many of these couples are dealing with this? Or is this like a secret club? Um, the stats that I've seen indicate that anywhere from three to 5% of the population struggle with sex addiction or okay. addiction of some kind. Okay. Um, I would say that the rates are probably a lot higher than that because it's underreported. Yes. Who wants to report that? Well, because of shame, right? right. I mean, because we, we, or, or because this is by, um, by its very nature, something that we engage in in secret or, or that people engage in in secret. And so, um, my, my thought is that it's underreported, that it's, it's actually much more common. Um, and, and I want to say, too, that um, like any addiction, sex addiction, porn addiction, they exist on a continuum, right? This is something I tell my clients all the time. So with, with, uh, with, with alcohol use, you've got everything from the um, occasional drinker who drinks only at, at weddings, okay, mm-hmm. or, or you know, only very occasionally socially, everything from that kind of alcohol use to the um, extremely chaotic or problematic kind of drinking where there's, where there's physiological dependence, where there's a complete loss of control, where their lives are falling apart, where they're um, um, absolutely uh, in chaos and their, um, their, uh, their families are in chaos and crisis because of their drinking, okay? Um, everything that you might otherwise call um, alcoholic drinking. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, sex addiction, I think exists on a continual or a, on a, on a similar um, range at some point. Okay. We, we, um, that, that um, uh, just as the, the, the drinking meets a threshold for addiction. Okay. And that's the clinical criteria that I was um, some of the clinical tr- criteria that I was alluding to earlier. We, we talk about, um, we talk about uh, preoccupation. Uh, we talk about loss of control. We talk about continuation despite adverse consequences, about toleration. The drinker needs more alcohol to achieve the same effect. Um, somebody might need to watch more porn or more um, uh, diverse or extreme forms right. of porn, right, to achieve the same kind of effect. Uh, that is to get the same kind of reward from their um, uh, brain's reward center, okay, when engaging that behavior. So, that is true, I think, for sex addiction. Okay, so um, when, and, and many partners, many partners are very scared that when they find their partner masturbating or, or you know, watching porn, that, um, that uh, he's on an extreme, that, that, that it signifies or that it means that he's a very extreme, you know, sex addict that he's engaging in all these kinds of behaviors because that's um, maybe what they've read about or, or what, what um, kind of, um, understanding they bring about sex addiction to their experience just then. And of course they're being, they're, they're, they're traumatized in that discovery. I can understand, but, but that's it's why very you important. Want to find a certified sex addiction therapist who knows how to help them walk through that, the yeah. facts versus their, yeah. their thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, and, and, and we're not trying to, we're not trying to um, judge anyone's behavior or, right. or, 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 um, or overly, um, you know, pathologize. We're, we're, we're simply trying to help you make sense of your experience and, um, and recover from the experience of the trauma and the uh, mistrust that's now present in the marriage that's causing a, a crisis. Can you talk to me about what a healthy, balanced way to utilize porn or sexually deviant behavior is in a relationship? Like, a healthy way to use porn? Is there? Oh, sure. I think that... Um, that as long as it's um, something that's mutually agreed upon. Okay, that, so it's not secretive. That's like the main it's thing. It's not secretive, right? Yeah, I think I think healthy use of porn um, has to be something that is mutually agreed upon, even yes. if one person is doing it uh, right. alone. 
there, there just can't be, um, in, in my view, um, secrets about uh, the, um, the, the sexual behavior that, uh, whatever it is, whether it's porn or something else. Because that's what creates distrust, shame, mm -hmm. hiding, uh, just that it changes right. the marriage because right. you don't trust the person. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. with that being said, can you talk about how couples can get a balance and fulfilling sexual life together? Like, can they find a way to meet together? Or is it, is, are there people's sexual appetites that are just so different that they can't be compatible? It's a very common issue in marriages. Oh my gosh. Um, I can't even it, tell you. you know, the, yeah, the, um, wait, before you answer that, I have a quick yeah, question for you. Sure. Why do you think we don't talk about this before people get married? Like we talk about what does he do for a living? What does she do? What's their religion? Where's their family from? You know, do you want kids? But no one talks about how do we figure out if we're sexually compatible? Because I have to tell you, almost every single couple or single I work with, this is what they feel like they are roommates. There's no sexual um, mm -hmm. life. They're not intimate, not just physically, but like they're not, they just are like ships passing in the night. and. I feel like a lot of times there's a mismatch in mm -hmm. sexual appetite. And that's a big issue of the marriage arguing is you never want to make it advance. You never want to touch me. You're always tired. You don't want to, you know, mm -hmm. is there a way to discuss that before you're mm -hmm. about to get into a relationship? Sure. But, um, people don't, I don't think because <laughs> they, they would because, lie. well, well, again, because we're, we're not used to, uh, you know, honestly, many couples, struggle to talk very openly and directly about their emotional needs, much less their sexual desires and preferences. They just don't talk about it directly. And um, when they enter into the marriage, then there's almost an assumption that if we work together emotionally well, um, and, and, you know, couples have, of course, um, host of um, variations on what that means okay right. but um, but um, there's an assumption that that uh, the sex is going to be fantastic and it's not necessarily the case and so um, I think it uh, is a very um, helpful thing to do to, to to explore what each of you prefer sexually what each of you know that you like sexually and you may not know and that's okay but right. the process of talking about it and creating um, an intentional uh, conversation or, um, or, or in, in, in making the discussion about sexual desires, a part of your relationship, I think can be wonderful. Especially if you've both walked away from a marriage that, that was not satisfying or that was a, a massive issue at this age in our lives, whether we're in our thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, we are aware enough about our lives, hopefully, to say to the next person, like, this is something I want to talk about with you because I don't want to repeat this issue. Mm -hmm. And it's a big one. So back, I'm sorry for interrupting, but that was something I was very interested in. Mm -hmm. So back to the question, how couples can get a balance and fulfilling sexual life together. Do you have, like, are there tools that you work with with couples once you've gotten them through, like, the betrayal and trust issues that you kind of are you doing that kind of work or is that a separate thing to help it, encourage them? It's, 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 it's very far. Well, let me, I'll say this for couples in recovery. It looks very different from, um, from other couples that, uh, that don't struggle with, um, with, with, uh, with sexually addictive behavior for couples in recovery. Um, very often this, this, um, um, reacquainting themselves sexually with each other, um, it, it, it starts to happen very early on in recovery. Oftentimes I encourage couples who are in recovery to take a 90 day break from sex. Um, for him, you know, and again, for, for him, I'm using him to refer right. to the uh, addicted partner for him. Um, he needs to know which way is up in terms of what's healthy for him sexually. And so taking a break can give him a little bit of time to focus on his recovery, to, work first on connecting emotionally with his partner because that's where sex starts um yeah. and then um finding ways of in ways that are safe for him and safe for her to um to slowly engage in sex because it you know couples fall into this trap all the time without taking a break 
um, um, she might um, want to have sex all the time because she, he, she might be afraid. Well, she might be afraid that um, that if I don't have sex with him all the time, that he's, he's going go to go out again, right. or um, or that if I don't have sex with him all the time, he's going to leave me. They're 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 um, enacting out. They're enacting their fears and and um, uh, abandonment um, in the relationship. They're not being they're, authentic with what they want. They're doing it based out of fear. Right, the, and that can be true for partners. For um, uh, for the addicted partner, he can say, "Well, I've I've got to I've got to have sex because um, uh, because my wife wants to, and, and this is what she needs to heal." And there's not clear communication about that. That's very early on in the recovery process, of course. But but once they've sorted all that out, okay, once they've got some um, ideas about um, their own recovery and are, are making some strong traction in that, um, couples can, of course, start having sex again. Mm -hmm. uh, they can deepen their intimacy. Many couples choose not to have sex um, for um, after that 90-day period um, simply because there's still too much hurt or pain. Um, but um, uh, if you if you've been hurt and you're and you're thinking about how you want to have sex again, um, first tend to your own healing. Uh, talk openly about what you want and what you need sexually, uh, and don't be afraid to set um, healthy sexual boundaries for yourself. Say. I would like to do this, but I'm, I'm not yet ready to do this. this just right. I saw that on your site. One of your questions is how can I feel whole again? So mm -hmm. that's honoring and knowing what you need and yep. using your voice to speak it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's all about communication and communication. time and trust. Yeah. Know what you want. Um, be specific about how you verbalize what you want. Um, ask yourself, how, what do I want? And how do I know that I'm going to get that? Mm -hmm. And ask for that in a very structured and specific way um, from your partner. And, um, and that's not just with sexual needs. It's a, it's, a, it's a recipe for healthy communication overall. But a lot of partners in this situation, they don't even know what they want. When I say to them, what do you want? They're like, I've been working so hard to figure out how to make this work. I have no idea. And I'm like, well, that's a problem. You need to figure mm -hmm. out what do you want? I could probably talk to you about this forever, but I have one mm -hmm. more question because I know we have okay. a lot of time. Yeah. Um, for infidelity. So the other thing I do a lot is I work with couples on a session called figuring it out. They know I'm okay. like a divorcee and I'm doing it in a way that is not harming my kids. So they kind of come to me on the side and they're like, we don't know what to do. We're kind of at the edge of divorce. And usually one of the, one of the members has had infidelity and they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so I usually do a session where I ask them really uncomfortable questions to lay out the facts. And then I show them what their options are about moving forward in terms of which work they're going to choose to do, because there's no option where there's no work other than staying and being miserable and not doing anything. So my question to you is, if there's infidelity, not a sex addict, just like regular old school affair in a relationship yeah. and the marriage that they want to keep the marriage together, but the person that was betrayed is so hurt, what steps does the couple need to take to walk through that together? To try to make it first work. Of, yeah, first of all, I'd encourage um, the two of you to, you know, both partners to uh, enter into marriage counseling. Together. Yeah. yeah. Um, engage that work together. Um, Secondly, I would encourage you to to read some books about um, about uh, about infidelity and how to heal because uh, just just educating yourself. Yeah, I can um, absolutely refer you to a couple. There's um, there's After the Affair by Janice Spring. Okay. Um, another one that's really good is um, oh boy Esther Perel's The State yep. of Affairs. Okay. Um, that's that's uh, um, uh, that's a really good one too. Um, something to help you educate yourself about what you're experiencing okay and can help you uh, to normalize uh, what you're um, what you're experiencing and the feelings that you feel um, to get through the, the there are really three phases to uh, fair recovery okay there's okay. getting through the crisis okay so uh, working through um, uh, the the hurt places for her of, of the betrayal of, of um, 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 getting his help in 
um, restoring trust and starting to then work together for him of expressing appropriate remorse and, um, and um, getting over his guilt and shame and showing up for her emotionally in ways that she needs uh, him to in order to affect uh, her healing and the relationship's healing. Um, so once, once the couple has some stability there, then, then we're at a place to more deeply understand and explore what happened in the relationship that this occurred. And again, that, to, to go back to your earlier question, um, that goes back to um, understanding why the affair happened. So um, was this something that was going on in the relationship? Was this um, something that had, that had to do with uh, the, 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 the cheater? Was this some form of um, self-exploration or, or some way that the person, albeit in a harmful way, was trying to self-actualize? Was he trying to enact or, or, um, or was he seeking out um, some part of him that he just for some reason could not uh, be or uh, become in the relationship. Okay. And then once you've got that understanding and the couple understands that together, then phase three is talking about how do we move forward together with this common understanding? How does this change us? And that's where the change really happens because then the couple renegotiates their relationship yes. in accordance with that new understanding. And they are both changed as a result. What if in the process, one, the person cheats again? Then I always encourage couples. With addiction, like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, you need to start over. You got reintroduce mm -hmm. yourself and we're just going to keep going. Or is that yeah. a clear indication like this person's not willing to do the work? Um, with sex addiction, that's that's par for the course. Yeah, with porn addiction, that's uh, that, that's just simply going to happen. So, yeah. um, so as painful as it is to expect that, to anticipate that can be um, can be helpful. It's still, of course, very painful when that happens. Right. Um, so, with um, with sex and porn addiction recovery, um, what we do very early on is we um, establish some kind of um, um, plan to deal with those kinds of occurrences as they happen. Of course, that's not okay. to dismiss or to minimize uh, or even to justify their occurrences, but um, anticipating that that may be an issue, we need to figure out how to deal with that. So do you let um, them know ahead of time, like this is a norm, like this is something that will happen, that just prepare yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but is yeah. it different with infidelity, just straight up infidelity? With infidelity, um, usually some kind of, um, some kind of, you know, cheating again or some kind of further violation of trust. Um, it indicates uh, any number of things. It could be that uh, the, 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 the uh, person isn't willing to stop the, the affair. It could be that they're um, still uh, in contact with that person somehow, even though they're not being sexual. It could be that, um, you know, the, the, I don't know, that the, could be any number of things. The, the, um, the participating partner that is the person who had the affairs is uh, angry and they're, they're reaching out to the um, affair partner for emotional support or, you know, mm -hmm. who knows. Um, but if that happens, it's, um, it really is very re-traumatizing for the partner and it can um, significantly um, set the relationship's progress back uh, very much. So, so it's not an it's not an insuperable obstacle, um, but it is one that's very challenging when it does present itself. Yeah, I know we are out of time. I really I this. like this. I could talk to you forever. This is so yeah. interesting, and I know that you only um, work with patients specifically through your psychology in California and where else? Right. I um, I'm licensed in California. I'm soon to be licensed in Colorado, actually. Okay. Um, and but you can do coaching anywhere. But I can do coaching. Yeah. If you're interested in coaching, um, just send me an email, just let me okay. know. Um, that, that's a bit of a different thing. I'm getting that set up. Um, you know, for more information, you can go to my website, jeremyrest.com. Okay. I'm going to include that in the episode notes, um, because okay. I know that there are listeners that need your help. Um, do you ever work with a person who left the marriage after the betrayal of a sex addiction, just them, or is that a separate issue? 
Yeah, I, I'd be happy to work with that person. Because that, yeah. I think that, because I've been to many marriage counselors and they are mm-hmm. very challenging to find ones that are solid and mm-hmm. are not bringing their own weird stuff to the yeah. s- situation. So yeah. when I find really good ones, I like compile a list. Mm-hmm. So what I think is really important is to identify like that you are a person that I can send people to because I cannot tell you how many clients I have that are dealing with this. And in order for them to get to the next level, in even in a co-parenting relationship with the person mm-hmm. yeah, to absolutely. not hate them, mm-hmm. they need yeah. to do work on their own and it's outside work with you. Yeah. yeah. I'm so That's excited. So critical. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Thank, Thank you, you for having time. me. I really appreciate it. Have an awesome day. You Thanks. too. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a moment to rate and review. Your five-star rating and words really help In Your Corner Divorce get seen by others. Remember, we get to write this next chapter for our kids, for ourselves, and for the world around us. Have a great day.